welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. Now, when the king lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See, now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go. Do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to live in? I've not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I've been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I've moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus shall you say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever in accordance with all these words, in accordance with all this vision. Nathan spoke to David. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you guys all for coming. I'm going to have us pray together. We're going to pray together the Lord's Prayer. And so I'll pray, and if you guys could pray out loud with me this prayer. It goes like this. Do it with me together, please. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Father, that is our prayer this morning. We're so thankful that your son Jesus gave us that prayer to pray and to build off of and to use as a grid. And so, Lord, we greatly desire that your name would be lifted high. Lord, we're here to glorify your name. We're here to be fed and to be renewed in such a way that we can glorify your name in the world. We pray, Lord, too, that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. We know, Lord, that that is a prayer that you will be answering. And Lord, we pray that you would give us our daily bread, both our physical bread, and we're so thankful for that. And we also pray, Lord, as we gather as your children around your table, that you would feed us with your spiritual bread in your word. We pray, Lord, that you would forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lord, we are a people who have not done things we ought to have done and done things we ought not to have done. And there is no health in us. 
And we come to you for mercy and grace, and we find it richly in the blood of Jesus. We're so thankful that, that we can gather here not burdened by conscience, not feeling condemned for our sins, but feeling and knowing that we are your welcomed children, that you delight in us, that you delight in us the way you delight in your son Jesus. We're so thankful for that. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to re-gift that grace to others. Lord, in this time when we're gathering with family, and often we are reminded of old wounds, we're reminded of old grudges, old resentments. We pray, Lord, that we, this Christmas, this time of year, Lord, that we would grant family members and friends forgiveness, that we would forgive them as we've been forgiven. And we pray, Lord, that you would not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lord, there are traps everywhere in this world for us as Christians. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to walk, to steer clear of them, and to also, Lord, that you would give us grace to endure any temptation, that you would help us to flee from it, that you would strengthen us up under any temptation we have coming our way. And Lord, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forevermore. And we pray as we open your word, as we look at this Davidic covenant, Lord, we we pray that you would be glorified. We pray that all glory would go to your son, Jesus, none to us, that you would jealously guard your glory and give it all to your son, Jesus. And all God's people say, amen. All right, we're in a series here in uh, looking at the covenants, the Old Testament covenants and how they all point to Jesus. We're five weeks in, six weeks in. And the, the place we're going to be at now is we're going to look at the Davidic covenant. We're going to look at God's promise of a king. And there's been a consistent theme in these covenants. If you kind of lump them all together, you'll see that God has promised to gather a people, his redeemed people, and that he's promised to put those people in a, in a promised land, in a special place, a special land, and that he would give them his presence for them to enjoy. So you can remember these main covenant promises as people, place, presence. That God's offering these, he's promising these to his people. There, there's this constant theme that though we have sinned against God and made a mess of this world, he's sending a rescuer to save his people, to bring them to a promised land so that they will enjoy his presence forever. This morning, we're going to see that what's needed to accomplish that is a king. A king is needed to accomplish that. And that might seem strange to our ears because we're not super into kings. We kind of made that clear a few centuries ago. And we're like, we're not doing kings, you know? We don't need kings. We don't want anybody to have that kind of power. So it might sound weird to us, but in the ancient world, if you were going to have a people that were going to be prosperous and protected and, and, and peaceful and enjoy the land God's given them, you would need a king. You would need a king for protection and peace and for prosperity. And so we pick up the story here. We're in 2 Samuel 7. You guys want to turn there? We're picking up the story in the Old Testament about 1,000 B.C., it's during the reign of David, God has given his people the promised land that he, he told Abraham he would give. David's their second king in the land. And uh, King David's captured Jerusalem. He's put his palace there. He's brought the Ark of the Covenant up in the tabernacle, which is kind of like a portable temple, a tent. He's brought that up there. And, and he has this nice idea. Take a look, 2 Samuel 7.1. Now when the king lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all of his surrounding enemies, The king said to Nathan, the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart. The Lord is with you. So David's looking over his balcony and he's like, This is really nice. And it's made of cedar, so it probably smelled really nice in there too. And he's looking over the balcony and he sees the tabernacle down there, just a tent. And he's like, Well, this isn't right. 
I should make God a nice house too. I mean, look at my house. This house should be at least as nice as my house, right? And so he tells Nathan, he goes, you know, this is what I want to do. And Nathan's like, awesome, go for it. That sounds like a great idea. But then the Lord says later, not so fast. Look at verse four. But that night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan saying, go and tell my servant David, thus saith the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? God, and, and God says a few different things to him. He says things like, you know, I've never needed a house before. Take a look at verse six. I've not lived in a house since I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I have moved about in a tent. He's like, I never had a house before. And then he says, I never asked for a house. Look at verse seven. In all the places where we moved with all the people of Israel, did I ever speak a word to any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to be shepherd over my people saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? He's like, I didn't ask for it. And you know, the Lord's also detecting a little something wrong in David's thinking here too, because David wants to do God a favor, okay? Which is nice, but impossible, okay? Some of you guys had the dilemma this year of like, what do you get the person who has everything, okay? That's the dilemma we're in with God. He has everything. We don't give him anything. We can't, you know, do him a favor. He's the one that gives us favors. He's the giver. We're the receiver always, okay? And we can fall into this mindset of like, you know, God needs me. He needs my service. And you remember Paul saying on Mars Hill, he said, you know, he said that God, because he's Lord of heaven and earth, doesn't dwell in temples made with human hands. And he isn't served by humans as if he needed anything. Because he's the one that gives us life and breath and all things. So God's the giver, we're the receiver. And God says to David in, in verse 8, he says, Now therefore, thus saith to my servant David, thus saith the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture from following the sheep that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and cut off all your enemies before you. And I will make your name great, like the name of the great ones of earth. He's like, you know, you're, you're a shepherd boy. I decided that you'd be king. All these are gifts from me. And then God turns the tables on him. It's really cool because, you know, he's like, David's like, hey, I want to build you a house. And God says, no, he goes, I'll build you a house. It's like the reverse Uno card, right? He's like, I want to bless you. And he's like, no, 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 no. I'm going to bless you. You know, you guys have probably known people like this or maybe experienced it this week. People that you try and give a gift to and they always have to outdo you. You know, you give them a gift and you always feel a bit indebted because every single time you give a gift, it's like a gift's arms race. And that's what we have here. That's what God is like. He's a gift giving God. And so this is the gift he says he's going to give David. Look at verse 11. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you that shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom, and he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the son of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your kingdom and your house shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be an everlasting throne. In accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. And so he says, you want to build me a house? I'm going to build you a house. And there's a little bit of wordplay here. David wanted to build a house for God in a temple house is what he meant by house. But God says, no, no, I'm going to build you a house. And what he means by house there is a household or a dynasty or a kingdom from his descendants. He says, you want to build me a physical house? I'm going to build you a kingdom. I'm going to build you a household, a dynasty. 
This promise is called the Davidic Covenant. It's called the Davidic Covenant because it's made to David. And the Davidic Covenant is that when there's a righteous son born of David and he builds a house for God's name, that God will grant him an eternal kingdom. So the promise is of a son that would come from David's line that would be a righteous son who would build God's house. And when that happens, that king's reign will be forever. Okay? Now, remember in the Abrahamic Covenant, they were promised a people, a place, and God's presence. The Davidic Covenant is to show us how all those promises are going to happen, and they're all going to be brought in through a king. The Davidic Covenant is an unconditional covenant. It's an unconditional covenant, meaning that God's people, which include us, God's people will receive this eternal king through David's line. It's a for sure thing. So it's unconditional for us, for God's people, but it's conditional for the king. The king that's going to be that king has to earn that throne. The king that's going to be that king has to be obedient to God, and he has to be obedient to the Mosaic Covenant. And specifically in the covenant, there were things that kings ought not to do. Deuteronomy 17 talks about it. It says, don't stockpile gold or horses and don't have multiple wives. There's very clear things that the, the king was told not to do. And only a righteous king can build God's house and have a throne that will remain forever. So it's a, it's a covenant of grace to us, but it's a covenant of works for that king. That king must earn that eternal throne that will then bless all of us unconditionally. Does that make sense? So he has to earn a throne that will bless us. Now, David's first son, Solomon, might have seemed like he was going to be it. You could imagine David thinking he would be it, that, that Solomon would be the promised covenant king. And Solomon started off strong, right? You guys remember in 1 Kings 3, when God says, I'll grant you a wish, any wish, right? He says, what do you want from me? I'll give you anything. And what does Solomon ask for? He asked for wisdom, and it says in verse 10, in 1 Kings 3, it says, It pleased the Lord that Solomon asked for this. And God said, Because you have asked for this, and have not asked for yourself a long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but you have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now will do according to your word. Behold, I will give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none shall be like you, and none shall rise after you. I will give you also what you have not asked for, both riches and honor, and that no other king shall compare with you in all your days. And so Solomon asked for wisdom. God's pleased with that. He said, I'm going to give you wisdom. I'm going to give you everything else. And so we see in Solomon's reign that Israel does amazingly well, right? It's this real high point in Israel. Israel flourishes, and the nations take notice. You even have foreign leaders, like the Queen of Sheba comes, wants to see Solomon's wisdom and see his wealth and see what's going on here. It's amazing, right? It's a tiny little country. It has had very little power, and you have foreign dignitaries coming and going, what is going on here? It's a foretaste of the nations are being blessed by this reign of this king. And not only did they flourish like financially and everything, but they also flourished with the presence of God. Remember the promise is people, place, and presence. They experienced God's presence in a profound way too during Solomon's reign. Remember he finally did build the physical temple, right? And when they brought in the ark, the presence of God, into the Holy of Holies, there was a glory cloud that came into that place, the smoke that was so thick from the glory of God that the priests couldn't even work in there. They were like, we can't even be in there. There's too much God. Isn't that amazing? That the presence of God was so thick in the air. They had it all, right? They had the people dwelling in that special place with God's special presence. It looked like Solomon might be the covenant king promised to David. But right? We all know the story, right? Or some of us know the story. He threw it all away. 
It's sad. It's super sad. He threw it all away. Solomon did exactly what Deuteronomy 17 told kings not to do, right? Stockpiled horses. Why weren't they supposed to stockpile horses? Well, it was because he would trust in them. Instead of trusting in the Lord to protect him, he was like, you know, it was like basically a huge armory, right? Horse after horse, and you read all this stuff that he had, and all this gold he's stockpiling. Once again, you know, it's the thing that you don't have to trust the Lord if you've got tons of money and tons of horses, is what he was thinking. And the wives, this was the crazy part, right? Many wives that didn't know the Lord. It says in 1 Kings 11.3, it said he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. And when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away to other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord. Super sad. Super sad because he was told exactly what not to do. (laughs) And he did it. And he threw away all of this. And idolatry grew in Israel. And then his sons, Jeroboam and Rehoboam, they split the kingdom, right? You have two, you have a split kingdom right after all this. It's like a huge disappointment. Solomon, guys, was not righteous enough to be David's promised eternal king. And neither were any of the kings after him, right? You know, if you guys do the Bible reading plan, you go through and you read all these kings, it's super depressing. You know, every once in a while there's a little bright spot, but it's just king after king. And there's charts that'll show you, like in a study Bible, like good kings, and there's just a few of those, and like kind of terrible kings, they're in gray, and then the black is like all the awful kings, a little chart, you know, color-coded. And they're mostly just terrible, right? And that long sorted history, guys, of kings of Israel was to show us that the truly righteous king had not come yet. And that's why those kings couldn't reign forever, because they hadn't inherited that throne, because they weren't righteous. And so God keeps putting David's sons on the throne, descendants of his. Those sons keep being disobedient. God removes them, puts another one on. And that pattern continues, and it will continue until a righteous son comes to reign on that throne. No more successors are needed at that point, because he is the everlasting king. So eventually, 586 BC, Israel, those kings had run Israel into the ground so badly and idolatry and everything that finally God just had Nebuchadnezzar come, you know, destroy the place, take the people into exile, destroy the temple. It was done. It was just a smashed mess. And almost 500 years, guys, passed where Israel had no Davidic king. And you can imagine this being extremely distressing to them. There's a promise of an everlasting kingdom of Davidic kings, and they had 500 years with no Davidic king. 500. I mean, think about that. That's from now back to the time of the Reformation in the 1500s. That long with no Davidic king. It take a lot of faith to keep believing in God at that point, you know? You know, you can see in Psalm 89, they say this, Lord, where is your steadfast love of old, which by your faithfulness you swore to David? They're saying, where is the Davidic covenant? You made this promise. And then finally, a millennia after David, an angel came to a young virgin named Mary and said these words, Luke 1, 31, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and he shall be called Jesus, and he will be great and be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Jesus is the better son of David, who truly built God's house and will reign over this world forever. Promise has been fulfilled. And Jesus was born as king. And there's tons of evidence from the Gospels that Jesus is the son of David, the true king. You see, when you go through a Bible reading plan, you know, Matthew, the first thing you encounter is a long genealogy. And you're like, really? You're going to lead with this? You know, like, this is the way we start a book? 
And the reason is to show that he was truly a son of David. He was a descendant of David. He was born as prophesied in the city of David, which is King David, Bethlehem. He was received as a king by the Magi. He was hunted as a rival king by Herod. He preached the good news of the kingdom as he went out in his ministry, a kingdom that wasn't just for Israel, but was for everybody. And he preached about a kingdom that would spread over the whole world and make all things new. He worked signs of the kingdom. I think sometimes we don't know what to do, what to do with his miracles. Like, what are these miracles about? Those miracles were, were acts of compassion, but they were also foretastes of the kingdom of God. When you see people healed of leprosy, when you see people being healed of blindness, when you see demons being cast out, when you see all these miracles happening, you're seeing little tastes of the kingdom. Because when Jesus' kingdom fully comes, there won't be things like sickness and hunger and disability and death, right? And so he preached the, the good news of the kingdom. He showed foretastes of the kingdom. He was uh, confessed as a king by Peter. Remember Peter's famous confession? He said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. I think I mentioned this before, guys, but Christ is not Jesus' last name, okay? You guys realize that? You know, we say Jesus Christ, and think, this was not his last name. Christ means anointed one, anointed one as in an anointed king. They were looking for this anointed king to come, and at the time when Jesus was born, there was a ton of talk about a Christ coming, an anointed king, the son of David who would come and, what, overthrow the Romans, remove that occupation and that oppression, but, but this Christ came to do far more than that. So he was confessed as king. He entered Jerusalem on Palm Sunday as a king, welcomed as a king. He was tried as a king. The high priest said, tell us if you're the Christ. Pilate said, are you the king of the Jews? He's being tried for a claim to be king. He was mocked as a king. Remember they wrapped him in that purple robe, this color of royalty. They put a crown of thorns on his head. They put a reed scepter in his hand, and then they bowed down to him, mocked him beat him, right? whipped him. They mocked him as a king. And then when he dies on the cross, what does he have over his cross? King of the Jews. He has a sign over him that says, this is the king. Three days later, he was raised to prove he was the Christ, the Messiah. The resurrection of Jesus authenticates Jesus' claim to be the holy and righteous son of David, the true king. Forty days after that, he was ascended to his throne as king, seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, from there, he will come to judge the living and the dead, right? He reigns right now as king, fulfilling the promise to David that the throne would never be taken away from David's family. Because it's a weird promise, right? That there would be a king that would reign forever. And that can only be fulfilled really in Jesus. Right now, guys, there is a real human being, king, with David's DNA on the throne in heaven. If you could go there, take a swab of the inside of his cheek, submit it, and you actually had a sample from King David, it'd be like, yep, descendant of David for sure. There is a literal human king on the throne in heaven right now. God keeps his promises. God keeps his promises. And then he will return, right? We see in the book of Revelation, he returns as what? The king of kings and lord of lords. And he will reign over this world and make it all new. What do you guys think about that? Yeah, we, you, I mean, I don't know if you see the need, you know, like if you look at the world right now, like the way it is right now, think about the way it is right now. Do we need this? Do we need a king? Do we need Jesus to come and be king? We do, right? Do you have a better plan? 
I feel like we've kind of run a little bit dry on possible leaders for this world. We need King Jesus, guys. We need him. He's the only one that can do this. We need him to come and reign. And guys, earlier when you prayed, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, you guys realize that's a prayer that gets answered. And it gets answered when King Jesus comes back to reign, fulfilling the Davidic covenant, making all things new. And I want to give you guys just a peek into what that kingdom looks like. When King Jesus comes and sets his kingdom up on earth and makes all things new, I want to read you something. You have two options. You could follow along. I'm going to start in Revelation 21. Or you could close your eyes and just imagine it. Totally up to you. But let me give you a peek at what it looks like when King Jesus comes and reigns. Could happen today. Revelation 21.1 says this, Then I saw a new heavens and a new earth, for the first heavens and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne, saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And as he said this, he said, Write down these words, for these words are faithful and true. Dropping down to verse 22. And I saw, a new, I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city had no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. And then chapter 22. Then the angel of the Lord showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city. Also on each side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. And they will see his face. And his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. And there will be no need of the light of a lamp or the sun. For the Lord God will be their light. And they will reign forever and ever. Amen. The ultimate people, right? That's the house, right? That the ultimate Davidic king builds for God is these people. Us. Dwelling in the ultimate place. Enjoying God's ultimate presence, guys. That's the kingdom come. All thanks to the true covenant king, Jesus. That's the Davidic covenant fulfilled. Now, we live in a time in between, right? We live in a time in between the kingdom inaugurated, it's begun, and the kingdom consummated fully here. Jesus' kingdom has begun, but and Jesus' reign is happening right now, and it's happening in our lives, and it's happening in the world. But his full kingdom has not come yet. We live in what theologians call an already not yet, right? Already the kingdom has come, but has not yet come fully. As God's Old Testament people, they waited for his first coming. We're waiting for his second coming, his second advent, right? For those first century believers that saw his first coming, 
they still had to deal with the Roman occupation. They still had to deal with all the effects and sins in this world. They still had to deal with the brutality of first century life, right? We still deal with the effects of sin. We still deal with our fallen world. Effects of sin on our relationships, on our bodies, on our work, you know, on our world. On November 28, 1948, right before Advent, the Lutheran pastor uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was in Tegel Prison, and he was there for a conspiracy against Adolf Hitler. And he wrote this letter to his parents. So this is, you know, the beginning of Advent. He's writing a letter to his parents. He's in prison. He would never leave that prison. And he wrote this letter to his parents. He said, the Advent season is a season of waiting. But our whole life is an Advent season. That is a season of waiting for the last Advent. For the time when there will be a new heaven and a new earth. So how do we live in the time in between? I'm just going to give you two things real quick. How do we live in this time between the times? Right? This time between his first coming and his second coming. His kingdom starting and his kingdom coming fully. And two things I want to say to you. One is hope in the king. Right? We should be hoping in the king. God promise to David of this eternal king is for us too. This wasn't just for Israel. It's a promise for us too. And Jesus is a very strange kind of king. Typical kings, if you're treasonous against them, they just kill you. Okay? This is a very strange kind of king. He's the kind of king that lays down his life for his enemies so he can welcome them into his family. It's the kind of king that Jesus is. Because, guys, we've all rebelled against God the king, right? You guys realize every one of our sins is a declaration of war against the king of the universe. That's what it is. It's nothing smaller or softer than that. It's a declaration of war against the king. And when he brings his kingdom on earth, we don't deserve to be there, right? We've created a lot of this mess ourselves, right? We've all added to it with our sin. We've added to the misery and suffering here. We don't deserve. We deserve to be banished. And many will, and you will, if, you're, if you don't get right with God before you die or before he returns. But guys, look what the king does. On the cross, King Jesus paid for your treason so that you could be welcomed into his kingdom. Jesus, the true son. Jesus, the true son, was banished from his kingdom on the cross so that you could be welcomed into his kingdom. And not only welcomed into his kingdom, but like made a member of his family. Like he adopts you into the royal family and in the world to come, you get to reign with him. So how do we live in the time in between? We hope in the king. Don't put your hope in anything else, guys. Don't put your hope that you're kind of a good person. Don't put your hope in some other, you know, political leader or some other um, religious leader or some person that you really look up to. Only put your hope, guys, in Jesus. If you put your hope in Jesus, if you trust in him, if you hide yourself in him by faith, you will be received by him because you'll have his righteousness. Put all your hope in this king. The second thing I'd say to you is once you put your hope in this king is live in his kingdom. The kingdom of God is simply God's reign. The kingdom of God is wherever God's reign, Jesus' reign, is felt and experienced. And so while the full thing is yet to come, we do experience bits of the kingdom of God now. We experience the kingdom of God whenever people are living under his reign. Discipleship, as you're learning to do all the things Christ has commanded, is learning to live under Jesus' reign, right? Learning to live by the power of the Spirit. You're living under his reign. And as you do, King Jesus breaks the yoke of oppression of sin in your life. As you learn to live in the kingdom and obey his commands by the power of the Spirit, there's like a, a hot spot of the kingdom around you. Isn't you know what hot spots are? Most of your phones can make one. 
like a Wi-Fi hotspot. There is a hotspot of the kingdom around every person that is learning to live under God's rule. There's a little area around you where Jesus' reign, his kingdom, can be experienced by others. They get near you and they're like, this is different. What is this? It's a glimpse of the kingdom. Your homes, guys, can become and are hotspots of the kingdom. And then as we gather together, guys, what's cool is that all of our hotspots of the kingdom coalesce. Whenever we gather here as God's church to worship him, our little hotspots are all put together, right? It's a place where all of us can learn more and more how to live under the reign of King Jesus. Guys, the church gives a glimpse of the kingdom to the world. It's one thing you could ask yourself if you're not sure what sorts of things to engage in this, in this life is to think, what would this place be like when Jesus fully returns? How will it be different? And then by the power of the Spirit, do that thing. Okay? So, for example, what would it be like in our city, in our neighborhood, in our schools, in our workplace, in our homes, in our lives, when Christ fully comes back and brings in his kingdom? And then seek to do that very thing. Pray for that very thing. You know, the church is a glimpse of the kingdom in that when lonely people are loved here, as we gather, when lonely people are loved or sick people are healed or poor people are fed or the oppressed are freed, it's a picture of the kingdom of God, right? We should pray for that. When we prayed for healing, we do it really regularly. If you have something you need prayer for for healing, we pray for healing. We pray believingly for healing. We, we believe that God can heal. He still does. And we pray that he would. We can't guarantee you that, but we pray believingly that he would. So if you have anything you need prayer for for that, what are we seeing when we see healing? We're seeing a picture of the kingdom, right? Whenever we see answered prayer, we're seeing a picture of the kingdom. As a church community is, to use another image, it's an embassy of the kingdom. There's no embassies are, so there's a, there's a country, and then uh, inside of it, you can have a pocket of another country, okay? So the embassy is a building that actually is the other country in a, a foreign land. So our embassy in, say, England, all England there, and there's a little pocket of America there. Guys, the church is an embassy. It's a, it's a, a pocket, a piece, a, a colony of heaven, you know? It's a gathering that every time we form as a church, every time we gather, we're creating here, the Spirit is creating an embassy of the kingdom to come, where citizens of that doomed kingdom can come in, they can be with God's people, they can learn about the king, they can learn about the kingdom, they can see a little bit of what kingdom life is like, flawed for sure, but real. I'm not saying like this is all what the kingdom's like, but I will say it's real, it's discernible, it's different. I think you guys can realize that, right? You guys feel that? There's so much bagging on the church right now, it's insane. Like, the church did this, church did that, church did this. I'm like, well, I didn't do that. Like, you know, I mean, I would definitely have failed, you know. But let's put all that criticism aside and just go, when you're with God's people, it's different, right? That's the kingdom of God you're experiencing. You're experiencing the embassy. <laughs> you're experiencing a pocket of the kingdom of God. And what we can also do when people come in and, and come in where God's people are is we can, we can encourage them to switch citizenship, right? We can share the gospel with them, and they can be transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light just by trusting in Jesus Christ. Guys, that's why we gather as a church. The last year and a half, it's pretty hard to gather. It's getting a lot easier now. But why so much effort? Why so much effort for you to get your little kids in a minivan and deal with that, like, spiritual warfare on the way here? You know, why deal that? Why not just stream it at home? Why gather? Because it's an embassy of the kingdom of God, guys. That's worth some effort, right? 
When you come on Sunday morning and you gather with God's people, you're setting up an embassy of the kingdom of God in Menifee. That's worth something. We want to invite all of you who are visitors. Join us in this great work. Huge blessing. Huge blessing to be with God's people. Let's pray. Our Father who's in heaven, hallowed be your name. Lord, we pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, we pray that you would reign over our hearts. Start there. Bring your kingdom in us. We pray, Lord, that you'd reign over this church, Lord, that you would um, more and more make it a picture, a colony of heaven. Lord, we pray you'd reign over this community, this city, these neighborhoods, over this valley, over the world. Lord, as it says in Isaiah, we just pray that the increase of your government would have no end. Lord, we want to see our Messiah, Jesus Christ, the Son of David, returning on the clouds, judging the world, setting all things right, banishing sin, banishing the curse, banishing death, banishing all sadness, but strangely welcoming us, not banishing us, because of his death on the cross for us, because we've hidden ourselves in him, because we've trusted in him, because he's our king who has saved us. We pray, Lord, come quickly. We're in agreement here, Lord, that it's time for your son Jesus to make this place right. Come quickly, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at covgraceminifee.org. May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.